by way of introduction, um, we thought we'd do kind of um, an opened up version of the Isaac Greater Dance podcast, um, which uh, since first quarter of this year um, has been hosted by me, by Alan, and by Chloe Shoshani, who joined us today. So we've got Bernice Lee. Um, jumping in to fill that spot because she's also uh, guested with us quite a bit. Um, and what we do um, in at least our edition, our three-person facilitated, curated edition of the podcast is to talk about things that we find interesting in the dance scene in Singapore. And we thought we'd open that discussion to all of you here tonight. Um, so, uh, disclaimer first, this is not uh, this is not proposed as any kind of like overview of the best and worst and stuff like that. Um, we, we wondered if we could do it and we realized we couldn't do anything like that because we haven't seen everything. Even between the three of us, we, we haven't. Um, travel, babies, life, you know, so. But we, we would like to focus this discussion around things that we found interesting and also invite you to join the conversation. Um, so, oh, I'm Sir and... I am Amin. Hi, I'm Bernice. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we thought we'd just start this out by um, focusing the discussion via uh, one work or one event each that we found really interesting this year and then let the conversation grow from there. And um, I'd definitely like to invite everybody to jump in on the conversation um, after that. So, um, and you know what? I've also got a bag of nuts, which I'll pass around to yourself yourself. <laughs> I think the crackling will be nice in the background. And this is this is being recorded for Arts and Creator, by the way, just so you know. So for um, uh, a start, um, my my like landmark work for 2018 also takes us back to the first dance podcast that we did in the configuration with Nyanin and Chloe, which is Joget which was um, a special, um, gosh, what do you call it? Like a showcase commissioned by the Esplanade um, and created by Pisa Matsman. Um, and I'm going to let Amin rattle off all of the, the names who were involved. Yeah, so they featured four um, uh, choreographers. Um, so we have Hashima Harid, Nur Haizan uh, Adam, Badaruddin Hassan, and Nurisham Osman. Right, I got all your names right, yes. Yeah, so it was, I, um, I personally felt that it was a very, and also dramaturged by uh, Susan Sandler. Uh, and I thought, you know. <laughs> and music by uh, Bunny Haikal, yes? Bunny Haikal. I would say that, uh, jo I, I would agree, um, we've said that Jogit was very interesting for me especially because uh, I, at, on certain days, identify as a traditional Malay dancer. Um, so it was also very um, interesting to see how, uh, you know, what, what things, uh, you know, my fellow um, contemporaries uh, could come up with and, um, you know, the sort of um, uh, the methodology that came into, into into play when they were creating those works. So I'll, I'll pass it to you to share more about your experiences. So I don't really describe myself as like a traditional dancer or like a classically Asian dance-based person, but I do have a strong interest in that. Um, I, I usually work in contemporary and experimental type forms, those of you who know me. But what really stood out for me for Joget was that it was just something so fresh um, I do have many friends who practice in traditional and, and classical forms and I, I hear very much the struggle that they have with trying to reconcile this need to preserve identity but also to articulate questions that are urgent to them and rooted in the present day. And without doing that in a kind of like strained, pained, didactic way, I actually had a lot of fun watching Joget. Um, it, it, it gave me so many surprises um, and I could see very clearly what each of the choreographers was working with. Maybe it helps that I know a little bit of Malay dance, having taken some classes with Madame Sosaye, but I don't think you needed to. I don't think you need to. Um, I did hear from a lot of people who enjoyed it. The other thing I guess which made it significant is that um, I didn't realize it. Um, I went to the show, I just really enjoyed watching it. And, and viewing it, 
but the, the questions that surged up afterward in the Malay dance community that I heard about, um, and tell me if I misquote, but I heard um, Alfian Saad in the post show, one of the post show discussions, he's a local playwright here, um, asked the choreographers if they've all been disowned by their gurus. Was that? I think, uh, yes, um, it was whether you have munderhaka, munderhaka meaning whether you have disrespected or you have been. Um, we have trespassed against your gurus. Yeah, so that was one. Yeah. Um, and okay, maybe this is my provocative, uh, um, provocative artistic interest. And I, I went to Fiza and said, "You've upset so many people. You must be doing something right." <laughs> There's something very sensitive and pressing about these questions, and I'm I'm really glad that they were taken up. So that opening this up and. Um, to more than just this one show though. I think for me, the Joget is a really good example of what interesting discussions um, have been going on in Singapore this year through um, like actual conversations but also works that look at the role of traditional arts. So um, for me, Joget was um, one of them. There was also uh, an interesting lecture demonstration that Amin and Elizabeth Chan did. It's called intersections, traditionally speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I've heard so much about Southern Lost this year, which I think Bernice might talk about in a bit, and I really regret I, I didn't get to see it. Um, could you just describe Southern Lost for one of you? Since I was, you know, involved as a performer, <laughs> so probably you yeah. could say more about it. Yes. Um, so I only went to the final performance showing, um, and it was performed by Andy Chia, Didik Nini Tho, Ivian Loy, Elizabeth Chan, Kanji Shimizu, Nget Radi, Amin, and it was directed by Liu Xiao Yi from the Emergency Stairs. Um, and one of the big reasons why I even decided to go, um, other than you know hearing a lot about the work of Emergency Stairs, was because of the writing of Kori Tang. And just kind of being invited into the performance process, but I did I deliberately didn't read too much beforehand so that I could just see what was on stage. And what I saw on stage were really subtle and nuanced kind of interactions between people. Um, obviously, they were playing with um, dance forms that um, each artist came from, and also kind of these dialogues between them. Um, some people coming from very specific. Um, what we would call traditional forms, but always playing with this notion of what a form is and what the contemporary is, because I mean, ultimately, these are living bodies, they exist in the contemporary. Um, there are people who are playing music that, or instruments that are identified as traditional, or their bodies identified as traditional form, but in fact, you know, what they are really doing is now. Um, and I was really also struck by how formalistic it was. There were, there were these um, words that were appearing on the background and then there were these pieces of paper just flapping throughout on the very simple set um, at the back of the stage. And just throughout, there was this, all this work done by Ian, the, the, I don't know what music, the... Uh, Sorry? Liu Qing. Liu Qing. Liu Qing, right? Liu Qing. My apologies, um, you know, because I'm Malay for those who are here in the podcast. <laughs> so, my, you know, I'm not so used to that little tongue. And, and I don't know this instrument. <laughs> so, she was, she's the Liu Qing player who was involved in the performance, but actually, she most of her performing role was her moving chairs around, and that was a really striking image because the whole show there's this really quiet small woman who looks like a girl you know and she's dressed in this very solemn floating dress and she's moving these chairs around some of which say reserved they are like reserved for who okay and then she's just moving them around throughout and then at the end um, she sits in one chair, then she moves and she sits in, so, so she forms a row at one point, then she sits in one chair, then she kind of moves to another chair in the corner, and the other female artist 
who's performing in this work, walks in, ignores the empty chairs, and sits in the same chair. So for me, there was something really striking about the choice of the female performer um, doing these tasks. Um, and you know, all this work done also in terms of the dialogue between the traditional and the contemporary, and all this dialogue also um, between individual artists struggling maybe with queerness, um, struggling with what it means to embody a form that comes from somewhere, is maybe learned because other people tell you you should learn it. Um, and there was really something striking about that moment where Elizabeth Chan sits in a chair even though she could just take the other chair and Vivian could come back and sit and we can look at the whole row of performers you know, as they are. Instead, I see mostly men and then one woman and some empty chairs. That was a really striking moment for me. Yeah. I think, you know, if I could comment a little bit about being a performer for Southernmost, um, I, I probably I'll comment on, on the workshop phase. It, we, it happened within that week itself, the week of the performance. So, you know, we had an intensive uh, rehearsal um, from morning to the afternoon, um, learning from each other. So, Xiaoyi will get us to be in pairs, and then one of them will be the teacher, another the student, and then the student has the power to tell the teacher what they want to learn, etc. So that was the experience that we had. Um, for me, it was really interesting to learn, um, you know, cross Indonesian cross-gender performance, for example, um, and the Lakon Kao um, of the, uh, the, the monkey, uh, Cambodian classical dance as well, uh, and also no theatre. So for me, that was really um, interesting. Yeah. And you know, since we're also on the topic about what's you know tradition, tradition and contemporary, I think the experience I had in dance nucleus um, residency, Bahasa choreography, uh, was also equally interesting. So that was one edition of the Element program. Yes. Yes, element program uh, called Bahasa Choreography, and we were mentored by um, Heli Minarti, who is a co-curator of the Indonesia Dance Festival, um, and also our provocateur was um, Alfian Sanan, um, prolific theatre um, playwright. And um, so I, I was part of the residency together with um, my brother in crime, Nor Isaac Adam, um, and we're two Singaporeans. And then we had a Malaysian, uh, Fauzi Amirudin, um, and also um, Indonesian um, choreographer, Ayub Matasari. So we had long, you know, had long conversations about what it means to, you know, to do traditional and contemporary and the sort of things that's happening and the conversations that's happening in Nusantara. So Nusantara meaning, meaning the Malay Indonesian archipelago. We share a lot of similarities yet, you know, due to national trajectories, we are very different. Um, we, we, con we consider ourselves similar yet very different at the same time. So these were the sort of conversations that we had um, and also we were learning from each other um, and also we presented some um, our, our, our questions and our um, what we were working on for uh, for scope, yes, on yeah that week as well. You know, the, the next week, the week after. So I thought it was really um, something that you know I, I needed, and it was also interesting that was a, this was a conversation that was carrying on since Jogit and the intersections that was happening earlier in the year as well. So it was a real treat by accident. I happened to be next door during Bahasa choreography because we split the studio and I was here with my um, contact info collective and we overheard a lot of the discussions. <laughs> that was, that was a treat. And we, and we also had uh, our discussions together, right? We yes, like... and we, we joined. Anyway, <laughs> um, um, sorry, segue. Um, just uh, dropping in a couple more things on the traditional, traditional and meeting of traditional and contemporary that I found very interesting this year. I won't go blow by blow into the works in detail, I guess, because we, we could be here all night. It would be wonderful, but maybe next time. Um, uh, another work that, uh, two works sharing one evening that I really enjoyed was a new double bill from Chalk, Chalk Productions, um, who are uh, Rock and Trust company. And these are two young dancers with their company, Karish Nair and Sandhya Shuresh, um, who made a, a program called In Your Shadow. And they made two beautiful works which um, work with the vocabulary of Odyssey and Chao that Raka works with, but coming very much into their own idiom. And I found that really exciting. So that that was, um, sorry, I think we took a minor meander, but that for me was um, Joget looking into how this discussion of traditional and contemporary really, um, I think, 
went deeper this year, and I, I look forward to hearing more of that. So, um, Bernice, your favorite work this year, um, we overlapped a bit, right? So, because we were actually saying Southernmost was um, Bernice's favorite, but maybe we can pull out the theme um, here. So, what about it made it really special for you? Um, I think there was really something about the simplicity of what resulted of all this conversation and a very complex process of a lot of dialogue amongst the artists and you know the richness of their personal experience overlapping with their kind of responsibility to carry on certain forms um, but also their questioning of that form. I think there was a lot just in the room with that but finally the, the simplicity of the director placing bodies on stage mostly walking mostly crossing from one door to another and just paper flapping at the back and this quite hilarious powerpoint slide i suppose you could say of very simple text at the back and unraveling or commenting on the sg arts plan um, and all this in front of you know the local audience or maybe not i don't know the, the so audience does everyone know what is the sg arts plan um just uh, for for people who aren't from here i know we've got some guests also right um basically uh the the national arts council has a work plan that's released and they, they've just done i think it's for five years they've just released a major one so this was um taking on that but in a sort of tongue-in-cheek way right yeah I mean, they, they worked over, I don't know how long, but they worked in collaboration with community to find out what people also think, are thinking as practitioners. Um, but in a sense, I think what really stood out was his comment that, you know, we have all these plans and policies and we, or Singapore as the state, works really hard to um, shape or put in place mechanisms that help um, the community to thrive, but then one of the very kind of striking comments he made in his text was, you know, what do we really know about ourselves? What do we really know about our history? And that to me was quite surprising because in some senses, my knowledge of international history is far better than my knowledge of local history. And I think that I can say that to be true for a lot of my peers, and I just thought, you know, that the reason for that is very much for the purpose of survival, I think. And it was really nice that, you know, he was able to bring together all these artists, not just local but regional, have these conversations that are not just about the dance form, but also about their personal experience, but also about this relationship of teacher to student, um, of past to future. And he was able to do that and then still come up with something that um, felt like an immediate response to something that was a very specific event in Singapore art history at this moment. And that, that has to do with policy rather than art itself. But, you know, we can talk about what that relationship is, um, not in this podcast. <laughs> I, I, I would like to talk a little bit about, um, you know, since we're in the topic of collaboration, about Kat Kafka, right? Um, uh, that was um, presented as Planet uh, very early this year, um, and you know presented by uh, by a collaboration by two companies, so THE, um, which is a dance company, and um, Nine Years Theatre, um, and I enjoyed it very much. I felt that um, it was seamless collaboration to some extent, um, seeing how actors and dancers were able to find some common language. Um, you know, amongst themselves, um, and also for two directors, um, prolific in their own way, in their own capacities, um, coming together and, and working um, on a collaboration like this. Uh, That's Nelson Chia and Yes. So I thought it was really interesting for me, um, especially since, uh, you know, I, I've been going um, around the region as well, looking at other works, I'm looking for a lot of interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary works as well. So I, I, I really look at um, Kafka as um, an example of um, 
you know, a collaboration that I, th I think was successful? I, I think it's really kind of, um, it may seem obvious in a way that these were interdisciplinary formats, but I think sometimes it's something that we almost take for granted that we will pull in collaborators um, to, to flesh out a work. But to what extent is there really um, a very generative encounter? And I think these two works sound like they, they, did, they did do that in that way, much to my regret. I can't judge either. <laughs> but I'll now turn the question to Amin. Amin, what was your pick for the year of something really exciting that you saw or experienced? Honestly, it wasn't a, a show, it wasn't a performance, but it was, um, I don't know, a presentation, a showing, a sharing. Um, uh, you know, it was the dance lab, uh, this woman's work. I was invited um, to, to see um, how female choreographers who have come together, I'm not sure choreographers, but people who are involved in movement, they've come together um, to have a conversation and the sort of things that they've come up with. I'm hearing from um, um, some other, uh, you know, uh, female choreographers um, from around the world. And um, I, know, I, I thought the experience of being there and the sharing itself was really heartwarming. I, I left the whole um, experience actually um, hearing. Uh, yes, because I came in and you know the first thing we were told, okay, you you need to segregate yourself according to gender. And I'm like, it was one of the, the pieces. Yeah, I wonder why I'm why gender. Yes, gender. So it's either you're male or female. And I'm like, mm, okay. Then. Um, and then we, and then after that, you know, we were segregated according to I think age, and then education. And then you know, we were asked about you know why this is not traditional or contemporary. I think. Uh, oh, okay. Just just because that was my my group's mini presentation. Yeah. Um, actually, maybe I can just frame this a little bit. Sure. Do. I'm not so familiar with what Dance Lab uh, is. It's um, a program that has been around, I think, four years annually as part of the dance festival uh, run by the Esplanade. And Daniel has uh, facilitated that dance lab for four years. And this year, um, I was actually really pleasantly surprised. I just didn't expect that um, uh, a male choreographer would decide to devote uh, an entire lab workshop program to women. Um, so, Thank you for that. Um, then uh, how it, the, the format that he used was to give us four days and he invited three artists from overseas. So we had um, uh, the, the Asian representation was Malati Suryodamo from Indonesia. Um, and we had Dana Michelle from Canada and Sonia Yoginini from Finland. And then, gosh, maybe, uh, some people were in and out over the course of the four days, but I think maybe overall maybe about 30 female artists who are mainly Singapore-based um, came together to take, uh, to take workshops offered by these guest artists um, to see their presentations. Um, and then on the fourth day to have a conversation about everything, all the issues that, that were raised and that were coming up in our minds. Um, about working as women artists, um, also very much informed by the, the context of Me Too as it's exploded um, in the past year plus. Um, and what Amin saw was the evening of the fourth day, um, kind of uh, a, what do you call it, like a, a snap version of uh, where the participants were invited to try and condense or collect some of the ideas and the issues that we found interesting and make something to share. And it was super open um, what, as to what that could be. So what Amin was describing was actually something that my group picked up. We were talking about uh, conservatism and how to work in a context of conservatism um, internationally. So we, we tried to make the most conservative choreography. And, and that's why we were segregating people and trying to do a, a dance that could offend no one. Of course, this being an impossible task. Yes. Um, and then, and then I, I there were several other pieces that evening. Yeah, a sensorial um, experience, I think, you know, because you know, I was hearing moaning from one corner, um, and then you know, in, in another corner I was asked by um, the facilitator to write names of um, women who I think should be here as well, 
um, and also to see um, some of the um, you know uh, white sheets of paper with a lot of um, um, writings and thoughts and then later you know I was mesmerized by um, a performance of um, dancers who were um, I'm, not, I'm not sure they were reciting poetry or reciting just words and then they were going around hugging um, anyone who was there who was in their vision of, of sight and I was hugged three times and I thought you know it was it was a memorable moment for me because I think at the moment in time I needed a hug. Um, <laughs> but it was, it, I left feeling like ah, I was in a safe space, it was very warm, not warm, it's in, it was a very warm, hospitable um, environment and I was very thankful to me to have been um, given that opportunity to witness and experience that myself and I would have loved for more um, men to be present to see um, you know, to experience, not to see, to experience um, this moment when um, women um, came together and, and created this world, this universe that was um, so different, it felt very different for me and um, for someone who identifies occasionally as male, um, you know, at times, you know, it really felt nice to be welcomed to, to see a different um, world, a different universe. I would never discount the importance of a hug. Um, I think there's really something that you're talking about that is also something that I'm struggling with. Um, I'm trying to understand what it is to say I am a woman, I am female, but also I am just me. And I think that that was also part of the picture for us when we were discussing all this. And then we were also problematizing the power structures that we were observing around us, right? And trying to understand, okay, why is it that um, it takes the esplanade, you know, and this convening for this, this title, this woman's work, for us to band together or to show up together as 30 plus female artists who are, you know, all making or creating in our own right, um, to have that kind of visibility, I suppose, when we also know that there are informal women's networks. Um, we all are always in conversation with each other. I'm not sure it's purposefully to exclude men. Um, and, you know, if that's offensive, it's always an inviting space. Um, but there's really, I do find myself tending towards working with other women. Um, something about the way that that I feel the communicating space is um, soft, I guess, to use Chloe's word, this softness in the communication. Um, and also kind of maybe something about shared experiences that I think it's just not possible if you have a male body to have that same experience, even if your identity is not that. And I think there was something about being in that space together and then reflecting on, okay, why is it that these other informal spaces are so important to me? Um, and I just want to mention that um, Shima from Prisma actually has this, this uh, workshop that she's been working on. It's called Bu Wayan and it's something that um, I think they'll have again next Saturday. And I think that there are a lot of these little pockets, you know, of events that people are conducting collectives yeah um yeah in my relating to that I, I also struggle with that kind of essentializing male versus female like uh, i find yeah. the gender binary really problematic but there is something that does happen maybe not by specific design but for just example um when i was next door to bahasa choreography i was working with my collective contact improvisation which is contact improvisation to choose and we are, we were four women, now we're three women, um, who get together to research questions about contact improv and uh, pedagogy and our, really, that relationship to artistic practice. Um, and I don't think we specifically selected ourselves to be an all-women group, but it did come about that way. And I think there were certain flexibilities um, in terms of planning and working and um, a, a, a real commitment to trying to create a very consensual environment which was not necessarily the most efficient environment 
but had uh, merits of its, its own merits in terms of what it, it brought us to. So just as examples of other sort of women's networks that I guess are going on, and then a sort of massive discussion I've had with uh, a few people who are saying, wow, this is actually a, a really ripe time in Singapore, where a showcase of women's work would be really good because there's so many good things being produced. Um, yeah, um, for me that's a big question mark. Um, I, I agree that there are many interesting women artists, but I also struggle with, does it make a difference if there's a male artist in the program? I, I don't know. Um, before we close on that, would, would you like to add anything? Well, I would like what I think also on the, on the dance research front, um, I've also been attending a lot of conferences and um, uh, meetings overseas. Um, and I see that um, there's a lot more to be done in trying to get uh, practitioners to also do research and or, or probably researchers to recognize that artists are doing research but you know not paper-based. So a lot of times we were having conversations about how in conferences we could include performances um, or even anti-papers, you know, like not papers but something anti-papers, anti like, you know, not paper, mm. not writing a, a, a ten-page um, article, but to, you know, to, 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 to have artists show and show their research process in their own way. Um, and also in, in meetings as well, um, I've just returned from um, the Bangkok International Performing Arts meeting. So a lot of conversations there um, happening about the construction of um, tradition, for example, and also the role of producers um, in the um, creative industries. Um, and there's a lot there. Um, I think these are conversations that we're going to hear still in 2019 onwards. Um, and you know, it's just good to to, to, to know that such vibrant discussions are, um, you know, we're, we're having it and I will continue to have it. Um, yeah, just to share a bit about, about my experiences in these conferences and meetings as well. At this point, we would like to really make this a, a conversation with everybody in the room. If you have something that really stood out for you this year, um, please let's talk about it. Um, so I'm, I'm currently trying to untangle this one microphone so that I can pass it to you. I'll just carry it over there. Okay. So this one. This one. Okay. Hello. Thank you so much. Um, first of all, I think I, I want to speak about something that I really enjoyed and I thought was very, very bold. Was at CCA and you. Um, they had, um, they were celebrating their fifth year anniversary, and so they were revisiting uh, what they called First Free Jazz One. And they did a thing called uh, Staging, Soundings, and Readings Free Jazz Two. And within that, they invited um, um, Carlos Casa, came in with a piece, but moreover, there was Cal uh, two artists, Kelly Spooner and Alexander Parich, who um, I thought it was incredibly bold because. The, for the two of, for, uh, for especially Alexandra, um, there was nothing in the gallery. The gallery was, was wiped out and it was bodies. And it was bodies who were working on a piece that she, a new piece that she called uh, Recollection, which hired um, uh, various different people of the community. And it was kind of combination of people who were performers, not only dancers, but also actors, also from other genre, there were even some visual artists, I believe, who were involved in it. Um, and I know Alexandra's work, um, the work that she's done with Nama Femmos, etc. And it was just so exciting because she sourced the, uh, the, the, the bodily uh, language from Singapore. She used something, she kind of reiterated things that appeared in her work, but um, she also particularly found the landscape of Singapore and in dialogue with the performers um, was able to construct a new language. Moreover, I appreciate CCA because um, Magdalena, and I cannot remember Magdalena's last name, but she was the curator of it, the boldness in, in um, curating this for a week 
So it was duration for a week. And I mean, I particularly enjoy works that are um, going into the galleries, going into more um, other spaces that maybe house more visual art, but um, seeing the body and the performative body be being um, um, e e um, equalized with that. But then that um, needs a lot of support. It needs a whole host of different things to consider, to allow the duration, et cetera, et cetera. So I, um, number one, I love the piece. Number two, I really enjoyed it. And then every time you see it, and I went back several times, it becomes different. And I was very excited by that. And Callie's um, was exciting in that she had her own performer in it, but also she constructed a thing which in response to you called, um, called um, an offshore school. And she had uh, um, Singapore Offshore School. And it was, no, Offshore School Singapore. And it was fantastic. And it was literally a full day of group reading, uh, performance, of experiential um, tastings. I would say of different particular things that Callie was questioning, that people who were involved in the group were questioning. And once again, the group composed not only of dancers, but also visual artists. I, and I just, I, I loved that intermixing. Um, yeah, and I thought I'd throw that into the space. And, um, and just one other one too, Yulafante at ICAS, who is a dancer, but she works with film. And uh, she was part of a, um, an exhibition called Head, Heat, and Heap that was um, curated by Katharina Riva. And um, absolutely beautiful work. She filmed it between two bus stops in Jakarta. And, um, and her husband filmed it. Normally she films it, but she was a performer with another performer. Um, they costumed themselves between those two, two bus stops. The thing was entirely filmed. Absolutely fantastic. The, 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 the lights of the evening, the neon of the evening was in there. But moreover, she, um, she projected it into eight um, pieces of gauze. And the eight pieces of gauze, what happened was it became like a hologram. And so as you were close to it or within the piece, you felt it was live, and it was moving. And again, she does stunning work that's dealing with film and with dance. And again, this, this hybrid or whatever, I think I would see more of it. So that's, that's Yola Yufianti from yeah. Indonesia. From Indonesia. Happened to um, be able to join us for Dance Lab this year, so that was a nice connection. And um, I'm sorry I forgot to mention this. Um, when you pick up the mic, if you could introduce yourself, because we're also in a podcast format where we're not seen. So thank you, Susan Sendler. <laughs> and um, please feel free to respond to anything that's uh, already been said this evening as well, um, besides bringing up your... Um, inspiring experiences from this year. I think Weyan has something to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I read it in your eyebrows. Oh, I just can't hear it. Oh, what was your favorite lap? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally, I identify myself as a traditional Malay dancer. Um, you know, well, again, you know, um, I see flux in identity. Anyways, um, at times I do feel that the term traditional, particularly in Singapore, seems to be a very 
chronological thing, right? So, and um, I must say that what is regarded as traditional in Singapore is very much contemporary because you have very active um, uh, practitioners who are performing and um, still trying to make sense and make relevant uh, the form today. Um, I think a lot of our examples today might, might seem very, um, you know, focused focus on a contemporary by contemporary companies or contemporary people who might identify as contemporary dancers. But in fact, you know, the traditional, whatever is regarded as traditional in Singapore is very active. Um, and we also have young um, upcoming groups, emerging groups, which are, you know, they in their own accord are also, um, you know, making work relevant. Uh, for the Malay dancing, particularly, we have Africa Dance Company, very active. And also the Indian dance community, we have Tatva. Um, and they, in their own way, um, you know, is trying to make what is regarded as traditional dance very relevant to younger audiences, to audiences who might not necessarily uh, identify either traditional or contemporary. Uh, this is definitely a debate that will go on forever. Uh, but, um, but in Singapore, it seems to be a very chronological thing. The traditional dance is always something that is in the past, and the contemporary is what's today. But as somebody who you know who has seen the development of the the scene of what is regarded as traditional dance, traditional arts, it is very much contemporary. Um, you have younger practitioners coming and learning um, even till today, um, and uh, I find it very, I find these labels very problematic uh, most times. Um, and you know it seems that sometimes we don't even have conversations with each other. But you know, um, but in in two thousand eighteen particularly, we have seen. Um, particularly in Malay traditional in Malay dance itself, these conversations um, are, are slowly um, shaping the scene in its own way. Um, we're having a lot more conversations than before. Um, and also, you know, conversations which are hosted or organized by institutions like the Malay Heritage Center uh, that is also asking for younger choreographers to speak up and talk about their own experience um, practicing um, these forms today. So that's my take at the moment. You guys have anything to add to that? Um, I do consider this sometimes a bit of a minefield and that you can be having uh, two people in the same discussion are actually talking about very different things. So what Kathy is saying. Um, I realized that in my background, which is mainly Western contemporary training, um, I think of classical and traditional in a very different way. Um, I realized um, after spending time with friends who, whose primary base is in um, a traditional or classical Asian, and let me point that out, Asian form, um, or as say uh, in, in Western dance, or say if you're in France, they say those classique, it's ballet, and that is a classical form. Um, I think the relationship with those things, the relationship to the classical in Western contemporary dance is very different from a relationship to the classical in Asian dance. And also, um, I do hear a very specific distinction um, when we talk about a lot of Asian dances that we distinguish traditional and classical, and that's a class distinction because the traditional dances are the folk dances and classical dances are the court dances. And who is the inheritor of that and the audience for that now? That's a, a separate question that I think we don't talk. It's, it's not as um, relevant maybe in a way for, for Western dance. Um, but this, this thing about Western dance, um, yeah, um, what led me to, I don't know, dabble because like for not so much now, but a few years ago, I was that Chinese girl who does Indian dance. Um, I used to hang around and do a lot of Odyssey and Bhartanatyam. Um, was a question for me of what, of course, n none of those Asian forms are really my language. I'm ethnically Chinese, but never studied Chinese dance. Somehow it just didn't come about, didn't really happen. And if I was to put my body into one of the Chinese forms now, it would be as foreign a language to me as, well, I can't say ballet because ballet is very much a part of my body now. So, um, huh? As, I don't know what Greek dance looks like. <laughs> Thanks, Wei as Greek, yes. Um, but in, and 
attempt to just query what is what is that decolonization of a practicing Asian contemporary artist body. Um, I thought maybe I'll just try something that's not overtly a Western form. And of course, there's there's, there's many problems. So when you talk about Indian classical forms, there's the the challenges that they suffered in history under British colonial rule and how they've been kind of reconstructed after that. So there's that. But I thought, okay, let's just give some of these forms a try. And then I also took some workshops in Malay dance and stuff like that. Um, does that sit better within my body? Does it feel different? Um, and at a personal level, um, yes, I, I, I did find definitely yes. There's something um, in a way of working in a, a relationship to gravity. Um, in the embedded social relationships in uh, many classical Asian forms which I find very distinctly different um, from how I might work with uh, something that's um, from either classical or, sorry big shift here now, um, contemporary ballet um, or with, oh dear, modern or contemporary dance. Okay, I'm going to pass on to Bernice now. I'm going to, I completely lost if I want. Um, what was the original question? Sorry. <laughs> um, because you know, there's so many conversations we've been talking about traditional and contemporary, right? And almost as if they're accepted terms that everyone has the same definition for. So I wanted to hear your definitions. And this initially did sound as if we were talking about them as if we were mutually exclusive kind of terms. Mm -hmm. So, how do you, the FBI, how do you define contemporary? How do you and then, the, I mean, I think it's answered the more larger question of whether there's a particular kind of Singapore way of talking about it as opposed to the rest of the region and, and the way as well. So, it's just what do you think of those, what those terms mean to you? Wow. Um, I think this is a very stressful topic because it, those are very reductive terms. And some something that I found really useful um, was when somebody said, you know, maybe um, instead of saying this is traditional art, we can say this is Bharatanatyam or this is Odyssey. And getting a little more specific, but we also know that, well, that's not entirely always true either, that more specificity and more narrowness of definition doesn't necessarily mean that we are actually necessarily clearer about what we're talking about. Um, so I think personally when I hear, okay, this is traditional art, um, sometimes I recognize it as a sort of practical thing that people claim that so that they can tap into certain types of funding. So yeah, and, and you know, that's what some artists find themselves doing. And it's fair because it is true that, for example, they're using um, certain types of music that you can trace back in time um, or they are using certain movements that are known to be from a certain time period. Um, I think the real distinction when I see something that claims to be traditional or when I see something that claims to be contemporary is that the artist making the work is really actively pushing at the boundaries of their form or the boundaries of their practice or they are trying to really define the boundaries of their practice. So I'm not sure that that's always a fair distinction. Um, I do think that, like, okay, so as somebody who was training and practicing and learning with a dance group that is a contemporary dance group, but always struggled with that identity because the director is trained in Bharatanatyam, um, I was with them for about three and a half years intensively. Um, and there was really a lot in there in terms of not just the practice itself, but what happened in the past for each of the practitioners, um, what the stories are behind their experiences, that as somebody who didn't grow up in the community, who, for whom the practice is you know, in the studio, it's not really connected to my life, really, um, other than just kind of by observation. Um, it, it was really rich and thick with all sorts of like uncertainties and political tensions, um, political in the sense of like 
you know, who gets to be in the space, who gets to stand in front, who gets to speak for the community and things like that. Um, and I see that when someone says that they are doing traditional art and really claiming that space, it's because they really want to bring something from the, what they perceive to be the past and they re there's a desire to define a, a practice uh, for a wider community. Whereas if someone is, you know, says that maybe their forms come from traditional practice, but um, their work is contemporary, it's about how they, um, it seems to me that it's about how they are asking questions that are things that we're talking about in 2018. So for example, Me Too or, you know, um, like what's the music that people are listening to now, that kind of thing. Thanks for a huge question. Um, it, it is just crossing my mind. What is the difference between um, a choreographer with uh, whose main training and identity is in a classical slash traditional form, e.g. Um, uh, making a work which uh, you want to define as contemporary because it's not reproducing or protecting uh, a form which has been handed down over generations. What's the difference between that practice and somebody who, uh, I guess, defines themselves or comes from a more contemporary practice, say, for example, um, Troika Fai, um, inviting in artists with different traditional dance backgrounds, say, Troika Fai inviting Rianto into his work. Um, how are those works different? Um, and my really simplistic first step at that is, I think it's the, it's the concerns of, of the work. How central um, are those questions? How central is identity um, to the, the, the line of inquiry of that work? And it, it can be, it doesn't have to be. It's a choice. Perhaps we can open this up to any other questions that you guys might have for each each of us or for each other about all year of dancing. Yes, please. Um, and please do uh, mention your name at the beginning. Thanks. Hi, I'm Max. Uh, I'm wondering uh, this problem with the terms uh, contemporary and, and, what, and traditional, uh, whether it's the problem lies with the, the way we write or we use them in our writing. Uh, I imagine what it be from today onwards we ban the use of these two words. What will happen to uh, in, in, in the creation of artists? Uh, I wonder whether you, in, as artists, do you consider these two words when, when you think about your work? Or uh, maybe it's, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Thank you. I don't. I don't, but maybe Amin's answer is very different. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I think it's also largely because, I don't know, I think um, when we talk about this, we also must also acknowledge the experiences of people who are the minority. Um, I, I, I mean, it's not that I'm always trying to harp on this matter, but sometimes um, I, I feel that um, to, 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 to say I don't want to conform to any labels um, might also discount the experiences of the, of the minority in all its facets living in this country. Um, I, at times, as much as I'm doing contemporary, I want to do contemporary dance, but because I'm brown, I would always be doing only contemporary dance. Okay? So there's a lot of, there's a lot there to unpack. Um, it's not very simple, it's not very easy. Um, and, you know, but when I create, I, I want to choose to say, I don't need to think about all this, but it's there. It's there, and sometimes there's a lot, like, a lot of times in, 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 in Malay dance, uh, the, the sort of contemporary works that we create is always talking about identity, talking about history, talking to, at, at times even, we fantasize, right? We romanticize. Um, but. I feel that sometimes in it, in that, in that, there's a lot more to unpack. There's a lot. We must also acknowledge that the experience is very different. 
Um, it's not it's not simple. Um, it's really complex. Uh, sometimes I I'm very afraid to discount the term traditional because if not, I'll, my voice is lost in the voices of others who might not necessarily who can say I don't want to conform to the contemporary and the traditional. Um, there's a lot there. I I, I don't know how how best I can um, you know. To, uh, tell you but I think this is from my from my own experience um, that's why I say I occasionally I used um, what uh, you know Spivak says about um, essential I don't know essential strategic essentialism knowing when to say what knowing to mm -hmm. knowing to label yourself what at, at different conditions and, and, and situations so yeah <laughs> um, I think the problem lies in the word definition. I, it really um, gets on my back. Um, I took a workshop with Zabe Loire in Hong Kong, and I love Zabe's pretense in that he says, do not define anything, describe everything. And I think if we allow ourselves to really un uh, unpick and underpin those descriptives of what we're doing and what we're interested in and how we want to do it, Except it may be the trace element of, of a particular style or a particular facet oozes out within within a work. Fantastic, super. But I think I think that that idea of description is important because once we lock down on a particular word or a particular thing, then uh, then I think it becomes problematic, um, especially in this pretense. But I think in any pretense. Forever. And I, uh, I was just thinking, uh, it's something that floated in my head, and it was, um, we had just set the um, Trisha Brown Early Works, and I got the wonderful experience of working with Leah Morrison from the Trisha Brown Dance Company, and we were noticing Spanish dance, and hello. Um, and the beauty of one of the instructions in Spanish dance, um, if you don't know, it's, um, it's done in the early 70s, I believe it's 72, it's of um, the Judson period, and so we're looking at postmodern and the strippage of any kind of baggage of decoration, et cetera, et cetera. But in Spanish dance, the first particular movement, besides the treading uh, that's, that's happening in the feet, is you are to raise your arms as an exquisite, magnificent Spanish dancer, and that's all that's said. Our interesting Spanish dancers were mostly Japanese, were, were Indonesian, were Malay, were, were Chinese, whatever. Indian. Indian, thank you. And I can't even begin to tell you what that porte did, what that raising of the arms did. In fact, Leah and I were just almost in tears because you guys just, because it's kind of in your DNA, um, wow, it became different. Yeah, 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 it did, it did. And we were just, and something trickled up our spines. And again, because it had never been really proposed in a situation like this before. So I think it depends on the choreographer, it depends on the interest, it depends on how much you want to let open up to, and what you're seeing. Yeah, so yeah, describe and play. My name is Tui. Um, I understand for Bahasa Choreography and Dance Linguist, uh, it was, for me, um, what sounded radical about it uh, was that it was entirely conducted in Bahasa, Malayu slash Indonesia. Um, and I think it's a great example considering the whole conversation this evening about decolonizing practices, decolonizing spaces, um, about making space, um, especially maintaining spaces for minorities. I guess my question is kind of about looking forward, um, having shared some very exciting examples of Tanslet or Bahasa choreography for some of you in this room as well as for yourselves. What are some of the things that you hope to see more of manifest in our environment um, to make things better, to enable more people better so that we have more culturally democratic spaces for art making or dance making in Singapore? Sounds like a befitting um, final question. Yeah. Um, I think having conversations 
um, dialogues, talks uh, amongst practitioners. Uh, I mean, it was very much what Nancy Lucas has been doing. Um, and I think it, was very, it, it has been very helpful um, for me to be here. Um, I got to know people who I don't necessarily hang out with. Um, through this space, um, I got to listen, watch um, their, their works. New methods of, of, of feedback, for example, today we experienced it um, through one of the works by um, Shima Sabtu, where we had to draw, um, you know, with charcoal as we watched the performance, you know. Um, that, you know, it's, it's unheard of in, in certain um, sectors um, of, of, of dance disciplines and it was true here in this experience of knowing that we are learning from one another and we want to hear from one another we want to voice out our concerns um, is definitely something that i hope will continue um, in the next few years mm, for me firstly i want to mention that i'm kind of mourning the loss the impending loss of make it share it um, an art project and studio space by Kai Er. She's a local artist. Um, she will no longer be maintaining the space or uh, keeping her non-curated open stage, which have been spaces for conversation and it's been really um, about community and people making work and making making work part of our lives. Um, just as a natural, you know, I drink water, I eat food, I cross the road, I take the bus, I make some performance, you watch that kind of <laughs> like everyday learns about her attitude. So that's that and I hope and I think that I'm seeing a lot of people also trying to create these kinds of open spaces for conversation. Um, I think it's really exciting that a producer, independent producer is asking that question. Um, I'm sure it's kind of part of the picture of you know what what is the space for this um, dialogue um, not just amongst practitioners but also with an audience and I personally found some amazing conversation with audience who may or may not normally come to see a performance um, and I found that really enriching um, I'm not really sure why maybe it's just people Maybe I'm lonely, or maybe people are lonely, and we need to talk to each other. Um, but but I think there's really something about us finding a way to um, you know create this space, but also finding a way to be pragmatic about how that space is sustained, and finding a way for the audience to enter, and what does the audience mean to us? I think it's been kind of top of my mind um, after, you know, thinking about, wow, all the things that I've experienced as a practitioner and then thinking, actually, a lot of my friends who don't normally watch performances, but they sometimes show up and when they do show up, they enjoy it so much, but, you know, just time and energy and priorities may or may not always go that way. So I've just been thinking, like, how much more emphasis we can put on the dialogue um, as the artistic exchange? Um, I think my mind is, is um, drifting in a very different direction, maybe. Um, it's occurring to me that the conversation we're having now and the, the user profile and maybe audience, or maybe more user profile of a space like Dance Nucleus and the, the questions that we're using now do not concern the vast majority of people who practice dance or are interested in dance in Singapore. Um, and that that space is just in my own impression is um, often quite commercially dominated, um, is of, has often got uh, technical proficiency and um, virtuosity as a primary concern. Um, I don't think it's really an issue that we have to force these things together or make different people understand things that they're not interested in. Um, but what it does, uh, what, uh, what worries me about that is the kind of silos that we cut ourselves into. Um, going back to our uh, the start of this conversation and the question from Kathy about traditional and contemporary, do we, is 
do we, being the people in this room, but also a, a wider community of dance practitioners and audience, you know, really self-select ourselves to what we're interested in, how we develop our work, who we speak to, who we meet, who we encounter. Um, and I feel that it's only been in the past few years of my practice that I started to look for these encounters and found that that kind of those those challenges to my ideas or questioning or or experiencing something that I didn't completely understand really fed me. But a lot of people don't do that. Um, for the most part, I think because they just don't know about it. Um, and here I'm going to make a big leap to a question which is not about which performances were most interesting to me this year, but about um, maybe close to what Bernice is talking about, sustainability, what makes it possible for um, such work, um, such engagement to exist um, and to be available um, is a question of resources. Um, and I feel that uh, it, it surprised me actually this year that the question has come up in several dance communities on um, what we call contemporary dance, what we call um, Chinese dance, what we call Malay dance, um, what we call, uh, gosh, performance art or installation performance for galleries. Um, are we being fairly paid? Are the projects being fairly remunerated? Um, and that was being raised because the answer was no. And I think one thing that I really hope to see is um, sustainable possibilities to to make to make these spaces to make these spaces available to make them possible. Um, and with that, I'm afraid we have come to the end of our time. Thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of the Arts Equator Dance Podcast. <laughs>